Good morning. It's a, it's a great day. I'm so thankful to be with you today. I, I am a little reflective this morning that Greg has left town for two weeks, had me preach two weeks in a row, first week on sex, second week on pride. So I'm sure next week will be cute, whatever he's going to preach. Will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll be in Proverbs chapter 30, and uh, we'll be in verses 1 to 4, and then we're jumping to verse 10 through 14. And, And just a bit of a warning, the first part is a little weird, and we'll make sense of it kind of in a moment. The sayings of Agur, son of Jakah, an inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel. Now start listening. (laughs) I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Verse 10. Do not slander a servant to their master, or they will curse you, and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. I will admit something to you. Thinking about how to begin a sermon about pride has been very challenging. Um... Because this is, a, this, is a, this is a big topic, obviously. Um, and I hope you know something about me. A lesson that I learned very early on in, into ministry was a, was a challenge from a mentor who said, you should never teach anything that you're not living. You should never teach something you haven't learned. Um, I hope you sense that from me. I hope that you sense that when, when I get up here to teach that, that the Bible is speaking to me too. Um, that so often, in fact all the time, If there's any sense of conviction in my words, it's only because I've been convicted previously in the week or in the preparation. And so on this week, especially, I really need you to know something at the start. I need you to know that I'm on this journey with you, this journey of pride and humility. I think back about my week, and if I did a quick audit, I am just so very aware of the moments of pride and the lost moments for humility. I'm very aware in this moment about who I am and who I'm called to be. I see the gap, but I also see that what fills this gap is the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ comes in that distance between who we all are and who we're called to be. Because this morning, we're going we're gonna to see the gap a little bit. <coughs> we're going to see the gap between who we are and who we're called to be, all of us. Um, the subject and theme of today is found throughout the scriptures from creation to revelation we see that this human drive of ours to be really excited about ourselves 
and to think we're pretty amazing. Um, We have this bend to be about ourselves, and I pray and hope that we're not just uh, exposed to the gap and be reminded of the distance of who we are and who God is, but that the very thing that qualifies me to speak this morning, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that that message would just be so loud that we would all leave in power, we would leave in courage, and we would leave feeling equipped to go at it again this next week for his name and for his glory. So we're going we're gonna to pray for that this morning. We're going to pray, and you have been prayed for this week by so many people, that this would be a morning where we don't just feel terrible about ourselves, but we feel the empowerment of what God does in the midst of that. So let's get going. Abraham Lincoln, 1863, was giving an address. He was giving a speech, what would be the equivalent of kind of a national day of prayer. Um, Earlier in the speech, he was talking right in the middle of the Civil War. Um, He's talking about the atrocity of war. He's talking about the, the, the reality of death, the reality of slavery, the reality that the United States was a pretty broken place at that time. And even with that being acknowledged, he went on in his speech to say something quite profound. I'd like to read part of it for you. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. What is pride? Pride is taking what belongs to God and ascribing it to ourselves. Pride is taking what belongs to God and ascribing it to ourselves. A friend of mine says pride is essentially stealing. It's stealing from God. And if you read the Bible... Stealing is one of the things that really frustrates God a lot. Pride is taking what belongs to God and ascribing it to ourselves. And Proverbs 30 speaks about pride, speaks to this idea of taking what is God's and claiming it for ourselves. In fact, verses 10 to 14 talk about some specific ways we do that and where we're challenged with that. But let's start at the beginning really briefly and look at this, this proverb from the first verse. I told you this first introduction is a little bizarre when it says, uh, the sayings of Agur, son of Jakah, an inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel. Now, I can tell you this, that lots and lots of books talk about this phrase a lot, and what they've come up with is nobody has any idea what this means. <laughs> but if you want all that stuff, Jeff Leo would be more than happy to send it to you. So just email Jeff and get all the debate on who these people are, were they, were they followers of Jesus, were they not, were they, you know, the, 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 there's all this debate. Let's just leave it at this, that there's a, there's a man named Agur, and he's had some revelations about who God is in light of who he is as a human being. And that's what frames Proverbs 30. This revelation from this man who has this clear, this kind of epiphany, this idea, he sees God for who God is in light of who he is as a human being. And so in verse 2, when he says, Surely I am only a brute, not a man. One translation says, I am the most ignorant of men. 
I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. He begins with a confession about who he is. He looks at himself in relationship to who God is. He notes and declares the clear difference between who God is and who he is. So when he says, I have not learned wisdom, I have not attained to the knowledge of the Holy One, he is confessing that he is not God and only God is God. And having confessed this lack of wisdom, he goes on in verse 4 to ask five questions. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? These five questions were meant to demonstrate and communicate divine acts in such a way to show the foolishness of human comparison. Because neither in Proverbs 30 when it was written, nor now is a logical, rational answer a human being is capable of doing these things. That no one mortal would be able to do these things. Even with all our scientific advances, all of our technological advances, it would be foolish to put a human being's name at the end of any of these questions. I tried it this week. I asked our six-year-old, he'll, he'll be seven this week, I asked him to talk, to, I told him, we talked about what a powerful person was, we talked about an influential person, and I said, pick one, who's at the top of your list? And he went with Clayton Kershaw, <laughs> who had a tough week. I mean, he really should be in the All-Star game, right? Can, after church, I need you all to vote for Clayton Kershaw, Okay. <laughs> But Clayton Kershaw, one of our, our son's heroes, and so, I, so I, I, I used this example. I said, let's just try this. Who has gone up to the heaven and come down? Clayton Kershaw has. Yeah, see what it does? It exposes the foolishness to think that human beings are capable of doing God things. So Proverbs 30 starts with a confession and then a demonstration of the difference between humanity humanity and the difference between God, and still works. Now, while many of us would agree there's a huge gap between God and between human beings, the proverb exposes it in such a way that should kind of knock the wind out of us a little bit. Because it's not even even closely possible for us to create wind. It's not even closely possible for us to go to the heavens and come back down. I mean, I guess you could break that down into space shuttles and things like that, but... But it's not, we are reminded that it is foolish to put ourselves on the Lord's level. The truth is, though, we do it all the time. Now, we might not do it with creation. I think we can can kind of give that one to God pretty clearly. But the fact is, how you and I interact with creation, we declare to the world and to God all the time that we are in control. That we are the ones running things whether it be the way we have a lack of concern or care about the environment, which, by the way, in the Bible, you and I are called to steward all of this. So whether we throw trash out of the window or we don't have any real care or concern about any environmental conversation going on in this world, that declares that this is my world and I will do what I want to do in it. Or or, or the other side, when we talk about humanity and we talk about the reality of how much oppression and racism and how much war and how much difficulty and how much oppression is in this world and we have a lack of concern for those people, we are declaring that this is really about me. This is my world. Our actions and our lack of action all the time say these things loud and clear. They say, I am in control of my life. I created everything that I have with my own hard work. 
my own personal happiness and success, I've created those things. Those people are not my problem. That issue, not my problem. It's my own personal choice, what I do, who I like, how I spend my money, what I do with my time. That's not the way I see it. You're wrong. You're the one who's not okay. I'm fine. We do this all the time. And when we do that, we are, we are distancing ourselves from the gap between who God is and who we are. Our lives, all of our lives, will always take a road back to pride. It was the first sin in the Bible when, when God created the world and he said you can have everything here for your enjoyment, just stay away from this one tree. And we took what was God's and took it for ourselves. And it's been following us ever since. We always bend toward taking what belongs to God and putting it on ourselves, whether it be our money, our intellect, our time, our relationships. We can all too often fail to see the Lord is the one who has authored and created and given everything we have in this life. And our lives are to be a stewardship to this fact. And that means if we believe and see the gap between the Lord and ourselves, our job is to obey the Lord. The Bible calls this fearing the Lord. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Even in verse 3 of Proverbs 30, the text we're in today, when, when Agur declares, I have not learned wisdom. The reality is that we as human beings must recognize our own ignorance before we can turn to the Lord for insight. You and I must recognize our own ignorance before we can turn to the Lord in insight. Now, how does this work in a world that celebrates human achievement apart from the Lord? How does this work in a culture that says the, the more academic degrees you have, the smarter you are and the dumber everybody else is? How does this work in a world that says the more money you make, the, more, uh, the, 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 the higher you, you climb the corporate ladder, the, the more, the, the, your salary, the, the harder worker you are and everybody else isn't quite as good as you? I mean, these are the messages of our culture. And I am so aware of something. I'm aware every time I come to this church that we are a part of a church, those of us Lake Avenue, who are part of a church with incredible brilliance and gifting that's part of it. Leaders of science, of business, of education, of industry right here. Top of the field in every field. There are people in this church who have worked in the White House. There are people in this church who work for Google. There are people at this church who lead some of the most prestigious institutions, both in our city and around this world. There are people who are on the cutting edge of business. And no matter any of that, no matter how successful we are, the fact remains, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. This is the truth of being human. That for as much as we can accomplish, we're nothing compared to the Lord. As much as we can know, we're not all-knowing like the Lord. Now here's the most beautiful thing, and this is our gospel, and this is what centers us, is although this gap is true, that God is here and we are here, we have a God that created us and created us for relationship with him. And so our journey isn't one where we try to be holy enough to get to God and to be at his level. No, we have, a, we have a faith that says God would send his son to come humble himself to walk with us because he so desperately and purposefully wants relationship with us. That the gap, God has closed the gap. And he wants us to be in relationship with him. 
And the way we have relationship with him, the way we recognize that is by following the scriptures. That's why we're serious about the Bible at Lake Avenue Church, because we believe that in the Bible is the very, is the very mission of God for you and for me. Some people call it mission, some people call it purpose, but within the Bible, we find kind of our, our marching orders. We find our purpose in this life. And what we learn in the Bible is that you and I, as human beings, are always going to have this tendency to take what is God's for ourselves, and there's this clear instruction through the Bible that we're not to do that, but rather, and the Bible talks about the word humility. We're called to pride, uh, fight pride with this thing called humility. And to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his letter to the Philippian church, uh, Jeremy read some of it already. Listen to this. I mean, do nothing, as Paul is writing to this new church, encouraging them not to get big heads about themselves, the way they interact with each other, to be like Jesus with one another, And the instruction is this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's the mindset? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is a call on all of us to resist our pride with humility. And remembering that Jesus himself made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, he humbled himself to death, death on a cross for you and for me. See, see, a life of pride basically says it's about me and me first. And, and a life marked by humility says, no, no, my life is about God and you first. Pride goes after self. Humility goes after God and the other person. See, me first is just being human. Sometimes we intentionally live that way. A lot of the times it's just unintentional. But where it is always there, and it is always pulling us away from humility. So combating pride, the Bible talks about humility. Proverbs 30 talks about what happens when there's not humility. But there are four areas that I think Proverbs 30 speaks to, four places where we need to be encouraged with humility. So let's look at the first one. The first one, we'll call it the humility of words. In 10 and 11, do not slander a servant to their master or they will curse you. And you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. So in 10 and 11, we have two different instructions. First in 10, we have this uh, quick instruction around slandering. That, that we're not to be the kind of people who slander servants in front of their masters. Our words, slander, right? To make false or damaging statements about someone. We're not to be the kind of people who use our words to do that kind of thing. And then this other instruction, specifically, how do we speak to parents? And it talks about the person who curses their father and does not bless their mother. This is a clear contrast to the fifth commandment, which calls us to honor our mother and father. But see, what cuts through both of these instructions are words like slander and cursing and blessing and not blessing. The fact of the matter is our words matter. Our words matter if we're talking to a servant, and our words matter if we're talking to our parents. The spectrum is big. And the prideful person 
uses their words in destructive ways. Destructive ways of slandering, of cursing. In both these verses, we see how we speak and what we say and our words matter. We are to be the kind of people who respect those that we speak to. See, respect cuts through both of those. If I respect someone, I won't slander them. If I respect someone, I will not curse them. I would suggest to you that the place that pride most easily and often shows up is first in our words. And we have to remember that we are called to humility. We are called to have humility in our speech and our words. We're called to speak with respect to those in our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing. And the Bible talks a lot about our, our, our verbal words, right? It was more of a verbal culture at that time. And I would say to you, I think we, we do a, a pretty good job being nice with our verbal words to one another, but our written words are ferocious, aren't they? I mean, just, just turn on Facebook and see how we speak to our friends. This isn't just about speech. This is about anything that gets created in our minds to communicate to the other. And and the reality is this. You and I, we are living in a time where there is no concept of civil discourse and there is no concept of civility in general. Just turn on the news, open your web browser. It's full of disrespect, harshness, cursing, bashing, blaming. The list goes on and on and on. This is the world you and I live in where it is completely appropriate to yell and scream and tell somebody that they're dumb. You do know we're called to be different. And just because uh, MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or pick your favorite website, just because they talk that way, doesn't mean you and I get to talk that way. Something we say at our house all the time. Just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean you get to do it. There is a call on our life that our words are supposed to be words that are to build other people up. There's a call in our life to be humble in the way we interact with people and that our words would not be the words that slander or that curse or that name call. I'm always just blown away, especially on, in the Facebook world, where, where somebody very well-intentioned has, has read something. and It's really enlightened them. And, and the way we share information now, they, they link to an article. And you know, on Facebook, you can see the time where people put comments. And I know that it would take five minutes to read that article, but one minute since the person has posted it has been up, and they've already been called a name by somebody. And within the time that I'm finished reading the article, it's gone back three or four times, and these are people who are supposed to be friends. These are people who are brothers and sisters in Jesus. We, have, we don't get to talk that way with each other. So the first point is huge, that our words matter, both spoken and written. Prideful words, they kill relationships, and they do not honor God. So our first point, we need to use humble words. Second, we need to have some humility of self. Verse 12, we read that there are those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. This is about self-righteousness. This is about those who are so very convinced of their own purity, their own correctness, their own ability to live. They're doing it right. That they fail to continually examine themselves. 
This Bible speaks about this tendency we have all over the place. So there's the moment in Jesus' teaching, many of you know it, where he says you, you spend all your time focusing on this speck of dust in your neighbor's eye while the whole time there's a, there's a log coming out of your own. Right? In, in Romans, Paul encouraged us to have a sober view of ourselves, to not think of ourselves any higher than we ought to. In, in Proverbs 30, this particular verse has, has a an element of moral superiority in it when it talks about purity and filth. This is the kind of person who ignores the sin of their own life and, 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 and focuses on the sin of the other person's life. This is like me in high school. I've shared this story with you. I was, I was a youth group kid. I was a good kid. So when it came to the things that my friends were doing in high school, I somehow got out of that unscathed in certain ways. I, I never drank in high school. I never, I never had any regrets with, with girls. But every weekend I would see what my friends were doing and I, I, I had a pretty high, big nose looking down on them like, look at, the, look at the way these people are living. The only problem with that was that I was stealing from my job the whole time. So yeah, I didn't have a beer, but I was a thief. See the inconsistency there? <laughs> the inconsistency is that we have this tendency to be so unaware of ourselves that we actually can go around life judging other people and failing to see what's going on in our own life. In fact, there's a whole, there's a whole movement now seeing the power of this called self-awareness. This is a trait, this is a quality that there are books and podcasts and, and there are conferences and when you're hiring somebody, the idea of how self-aware they are is incredibly important. Self-awareness basically says this, that it's, it's, it's valuable for an organization. It is valuable for an organization to have employees a part of them who understand who they are and understand their impact on other people. So even the world has picked up that this is a valuable thing. I'll tell you the truth. We've got a lot of hiring coming up at Lake Avenue Church. And one of the things that I am most interested in when we interview people to work here is I want to know what they don't know. I look for them to be able to share with me not just what they're awesome at, but what they're not good at. Because the last thing Lake Avenue Church needs is a pastor who's got it all figured out. And quite honestly, your family doesn't need that kind of person either. Neither does your company. We are called to know ourselves in the context of who God is. Verses 1 to 4. I have not attained the knowledge of the Holy One. I have not learned wisdom. What have you not learned? What do you not know? The self-righteous person knows it all. When I was a high school pastor here, one of a, a common occurrence would be there would be, and, and, and you know, some of you, you did this, and this is just part, I, I love it, and I actually miss this part of the job. When a high school student does something that high school kids do, there's times where parents would call the youth pastor, they'd call the youth pastor, and they're kind of, you know, a little bit panicked, and would you meet with our child? And so I would meet with the parent first, and I would say, well, what happened? I would say, 10 times out of 10, they would explain something that is happening with their teenager, and then I would respond with something like this. So the only difference between your son and me when I was in high school is he got caught. It was really empowering to a parent. I'm like, they too can work at a church someday, you know? <laughs> we must have a humble view of ourselves. Gosh, the world needs us too, friends. 
Humble, view, humble humility in our words, humility in ourself. And third point, humility of status. Verse 13, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. This is about arrogance. Arrogance is a lethal posture. Verse 13 describes a person whose gaze is up above everyone else and sometimes snoots down. Haughty isn't a word that we use often. Actually, we use it, it just doesn't mean that anymore. Some of you should laugh more at that. Um, but the idea of haughty is, to mean, is that of being superior. We're, we're quite aware of the idea of feeling and, and being superior. That is as old as sin. Arrogance and superiority have been responsible for so much death and destruction. Wars have and are being waged over superiority. Peoples have and are being oppressed over superiority. Individuals, communities, countries, races, religions, all of them have dark histories and current histories of superiority. History is loaded with status being used to keep people down. Arrogance is ugly, and it's more than ugly, it's deadly. Let's remember back to Philippians, in which we read that Jesus, who in who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus is our example here. He made himself nothing. He did not use his God status for his own advantage. He used his status for you and for me and for everyone. He humbled himself for the sake of others. Even though he was above all, he didn't lord it over anyone. When I was about 20 years old, I was living and working at Forest Home, and the vice president of Forest Home at the time, a guy named Greg Fields, incredible man, one of, the, one of the most influential mentors of my early days. He was the vice president of Forest Home, which in, in, I know that's nothing to everybody that works at like real companies, but in church world in Southern California, that's like the White House sometimes. <laughs> so he's got some pretty big status. And I, you could not walk around Forest Home. You couldn't walk from one building to another with Greg. And if there was a piece of trash within 15 feet of him, he would go out of his way, keep conversation with you, pick up the trash and go to the trash can, even if it was a half-drank milkshake spilling over his hand. There's somebody who didn't use his status to create a different reality for himself at the expense of other people. It was a valuable lesson of what it means to use your status. To be a, a maintenance person at Forest Home, you knew that your leader was right there in with you. And although different responsibilities, they weren't asking you to do something that they wouldn't do themselves. It's a powerful lesson. Greg, and the way he led and where he taught by just picking up trash, declared with his life that every single person is made in God's image. That no one is lower in the Lord's eyes. It takes so much humility and self-discipline to actually live that way. To not believe that you are better than someone else. Where we act superior, we need Jesus to come in and help us. Just this week, I was out to dinner with the, the mayors, and we, we had to wait a little bit to get our waters refilled. And I was getting a little frustrated. And then I thought about my sermon. That's what it does. 
Okay, last part. Humility, this last one. This is a huge shift in the text. I want you to, to stay with me and try to understand what I think is happening here because I think it's, it's huge. So if the text has just started talking about status, that there are people who are haughty, right, who, who are superior to other people, then it goes on to this interesting shift where it talks very specifically about the poor. It says, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from mankind. Here's, here's what I think is happening. See, the road of pride, taking what is God's, taking it to ourselves, when we have a really messed up view of ourselves, when we think that our status matters, when we think that we are at a level where we get to call the shots in this life, we actually have the temptation and the audacity, and we see it throughout history, to change the rules of how we are to live. So it's talking specifically about a person who is so, feels so self-superior to other people that they are rewriting the rules of how it is to interact with the poor. See, when we're serious about the Bible, you cannot read the Bible. You cannot read the Bible and not see that God has a heart for those on the margins in this world. Be it the poor, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, it's throughout the scriptures. And the instruction on the people of God isn't that that's just neat information, but that you and I are called in the mission of our life to be about those things. So what's happening in verse 14 is this person is so deceived, so into their own status, that instead of living the very mission of God, they are exploiting the poor. They, they have forgotten God's heart, they have ignored it, and they believe that it's, up to them, it's, an, it's okay for them to rewrite how this world works, specifically with the poor. They're create, recreating the mission and the rules. They're recreating the mission and priorities of God. See, in the Bible, we're not just called to be nice people to poor people. We're actually called to be the people who defend the poor. We're called to be the kind of people who come alongside people who are sick, who are in prison, who are on the margins of society. We are called to come and help them. So this last point about, we'll call it the humility of power basically would say this. It would say that I need to have a humble view, understand my temptation to think I'm better than God and that I see things more clearly, this temptation to rewrite the rules, to rewrite the way life works. And all of a sudden, the very power, the things that have come from God, the influence and power and prestige, all of a sudden we can be people who exploit the mission of God, exploit other people rather than help them and benefit them. We are, like Jesus, to use our influence and our power to empower other people. So I think we would all agree that there's, there's truly horrific people out there. These are the people who scam elderly people. These are the people after a natural disaster will go in and try to make money on people who've lost everything. These are the kind of people who go into poor communities and set up businesses and, and, and set up uh, ploys that, that is meant to keep people down. And to take advantage. Bible actually tells us we're not supposed to be that person, but we're also supposed to fight that person on behalf of people who can't do it themselves. Being prideful about our power is the way of the fool. Failing to see the Lord as the source of everything leads us in a position to think of ourselves as God. And it takes a great dose of humility to not only see where what we have is from the Lord, but then to use it and give it to others. We're called to be obedient and to fear the Lord. So we need to be humble in our words, humble view of ourself, humble with our status, 
making sure that our status doesn't go to a place where we start kind of changing everything and using our power to hurt people rather than empower people. And kind of the missing question for me at the start of this week was, yeah, I think, I think at different levels, I really hope that all of us see ourselves in this. I mean, this is why it's been one of those we're in this together kind of weeks, because I see myself in all of this, right, all of it. And so I can be aware that my words matter and I can work on that, which I think is definitely some application we should work on that. I can have a better view of myself before I start judging other people about their sin. I can take real clean stock of my own life and be humbled, right? But how do we grow in humility? What does that look like? You know, the caution here is that you can actually be self-righteous in your humility, right? Aren't those fun people? I'm sorry when you're with me and I'm like that. Those are, those are just... They, you know, these people are so humble that they've got it really all figured out. So Ray Ortland Jr., a son of the church here, he wrote a commentary on Proverbs. And I thought this quote was very, very helpful as we think about how it is we're to grow in humility. And he says this, The three key words are reveres, listens, and confesses. That is how humility behaves. It reveres, listens, and confesses in that order. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege to uh, go to a dinner with one of my former students who now is a, a missionary in Russia, Tim Lewis. Many of you know Tim. He's with Pioneers, and he's home for a few weeks this summer, and had a dinner where he was sharing about kind of his year in Russia, and he teaches at an international school there, and it was, it was a really nice night, but there was one answer that Tim, Gil, we were there together, uh, Tim gave this, this answer that just stood out to me. It was in the context of somebody asking what he's learned about the Russian people or the, the culture of Russia. It was something that he was surprised by. And he's a history teacher. And he said, you know, the more I've fallen in love with these people and, and listened to them and understand how they, how they you know, their, their narrative and their life, I'm realizing that the world is much bigger than when I came. He used World War II as an example. He said, I grew up in the United States, educated in the United States schools, and, and there's definitely a narrative of how World War II happened and went down and the role that we played and the significant role. And when you talk to Russia, they have a, a slightly different take on that. And they recall the thousands and thousands of people who died and, and the land, and, and he said, and I just, it kind of took me, it's taken me back a little bit that I had to put myself in a position where I revere the other person, now I'm using my words, where I revere the other person, I listen to their story, their experience, and I confess that I don't have it all figured out, and there might just be more to the story. Friends, that's humility. You and I can celebrate that in international missionaries much more easily than we can do today to day with one another, and we need to admit that. There's something about, there's some big context there, Russia and United States. We, there, might be diff, there might be some, dist, we need to listen. But the truth is, we need some help, even in our own church, with revering, listening, and confessing. I'll just give you a very personal example to close the sermon. Last over 12 months, I think you would agree with me that the national conversation centered around race and racism has been significant. 
So whether it be around policing, whether it be around uh, young, younger African-American men and, and how they die, whether it be around a, a young white man who goes into a church and shoots nine people simply because they are African-American, and whether it be about a Confederate flag and the need to take that down and the debate around that, it's been happening around us. And I'll confess to you, being someone who is me, who looks like me, early on in these conversations, it was very tempting to believe that I had it all figured out. That those situations that, that's really discrediting maybe somebody else's perspective or their story or their history. And I've learned something valuable and I am learning something valuable. And it centers around this revering, listening, and confessing. First, we revere and we listen and we confess the Word of God. I've been blown away. When you open up the Bible with somebody who's lived a very different life than you, all of a sudden verses that you have read for years, the power of God is just so clear, you start seeing things you've never seen before. And it, makes, it forces you to listen to the Word. And when you listen to the Word, if you're like me, you're constantly confessing what you did not know, what you have not lived, and what you will do different. That happens in relationship too. So all of a sudden, something that lives on the news is something disconnected from my life, something that really doesn't make sense to me or doesn't really touch my world. All of a sudden, it forces me to. So, so Confederate flag, that's not necessarily been an issue for me, something that I would put much stock into, and I can look at people talking about that in a certain way, and then, then all of a sudden you enter a relationship with someone who has a vivid memory. This was told to me two weeks ago. Vivid memory of being five years old at a public park in California when some teenage boys waved a Confederate flag out of their car and screamed at this boy and his family. One of the foundation. I have a, I have a six-year-old boy that will never happen to him. Never. So I revere the other person. I listen to them. I confess that I don't know everything. And then I revere the Lord. I listen to the Lord. And I confess that I will live differently. May we be a kind of church that is not proud of anything except that the Lord is the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, for all the moments of our lives where we have it all figured out, we apologize and we declare to you in this moment that none of us have attained your knowledge. We are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for your mercy. We are so thankful that in that gap between who we are and who you are, that you love us so much that you would send Jesus so that you and us can walk this life together. We need your help, God, because our human tendency will always be about ourselves. It will always want to take what so clearly belongs to you. Our temptation to be prideful in our words, our temptation to be self-righteous, our temptation to be arrogant, our temptation to rewrite the rules of your very heart, those are very, very real temptations for us. So we need your spirit to come into our lives and into our community and into our, our, our minds and just take over so that we can be about the things that, are, that you're about. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in this room that we would be much more comfortable not knowing a lot of things, that we would be the kind of people who revere you and one another, 
the kind of people who listen to you and to one another and the kind of people who are free and often in confession to you and to one another about what you're doing in this world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.